Good morning again. So I'm not Pastor Justin. Pastor Justin is in California with his family celebrating his uh, doctoral uh, degree. And so a couple weeks ago, he had asked uh, me if I would preach today. And I was like, no way, not happening. But I looked down, and I texted him, okay. So, <laughs> so sh- I was shocked myself. But um, it's great to be here, great to, great to be with family, uh, because that's what we are, we're family. So appreciate the opportunity to share God's word. Um, Phil's right, the panic didn't kick in until about 10.15, so he called that one. And he, uh, Pastor Justin gave me one piece of advice, and I did not follow, well, he gave me a lot of advice, but one piece I did not follow was I did not record myself and then watch it to see what mannerisms I may have or expressions, um, because I, I don't even watch myself doing announcements, so I, there was no way I was watching that. So if you see me make some a wild gesticulation or, you know, some expression or something like that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable too, so. But I'm just incredibly honored to be able to share God's word with you today. So if you don't mind, I would like to pray. I uh, feel like that's a really good way to start, so let's just go to the Lord again in prayer. So, Father, we, we do, Lord. We are just so in awe of you. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful for your word. And Father, just I pray that your word goes forth clearly. Lord, I pray that this is to your glory and to the hearts of your people. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this opportunity. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So, a part of Faith Bible Church, we have members that are varying levels, if you will, or just been Christians for certain ages, right? We have brand new Christians. We have Christians that have been in the faith longer than I've been alive. Um, and so on everywhere in between, it's just part of life, right? We all come to the Lord at different times. He calls us, saves us at different times. And it's really interesting as we get to know one another, we're seeing where different people are in different parts of their faith and their, in their walk. But during your time as a believer, you know, have you ever struggled with doubt? Is doubt something that you've struggled with? Maybe you've sat under teaching that maybe it's a little out there if you're being charitable. Some of it's downright heretical, you've heard, most likely. Maybe you've heard something and said to yourself, well, it doesn't sound right, but it's, the guy that's teaching it is prominent, so I'll just trust it and I'll go with it. It's got to be true. He's well known. Or maybe you spent time in unsound churches where you've heard teaching and you had trouble separating the wheat from the chaff and some of that chaff is really sticky. It's really hard to shed and it's stuck with you. Perhaps even this day you know you're saved but you don't feel the joy that other believers, they, they express. You know, we use a phrase around here, are we delighting in Christ? Maybe you hear that phrase and you're like, what in the world does that even mean? Maybe you've had conversations this week with someone who professes to be a Christian, but afterwards you're unsettled. Maybe something they said, you're you're thinking, are they worshiping the same God that we are? Are they actually a believer? 
If we're being honest, we've all struggled with those types of things. We've all struggled with doubt. We've all been on this journey of faith for those of us that are in the faith. It's been a journey, and we haven't always sat under solid teaching. But today's text should give you renewed joy in knowing that God has given us clear instruction on on how we can respond to that unsettled nature, that unsettledness we may feel, and also help others with theirs, that uncomfortable feeling sometimes people have. So today we're going to be in Jude, which is an interesting book. He was the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James the Apostle, but he doesn't claim familial ties for legitimacy. It's not, hey, I'm Jesus' brother, listen to what I have to say. That's not what he's claiming. Rather, in this greeting, he refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to reference his common salvation with his original audience. This epistle, it's, it's like a small treasure, almost hidden. As if you flip through the Bible too fast, you might bypass it. It's just to the left of the revelation of Jesus Christ, just to the right of 3 John, and it's so easy to miss. It's like that proverbial small town that you may drive by if you're not looking for it, if you don't, haven't heard about it. It's not a book teaching doctrine, but it does teach practicing it. It's not a treatise on how to do church, but it does tell us what church should be doing. So our Bible and the pews are ESV. Um, you may have that translation of the Bible. And the phrase at the top of this section we're studying today says, a call to persevere. And that was put there by the the translators of the ESV to be helpful, to give us an idea what that was about, what it's about, what this section is teaching. But it doesn't really get to the depth, and I think you'll see that as we go through this, it's not really getting to the depth of what Jude's telling us through the word. Persevere hints at passivity. And I think you'll see that's not the main theme of this text. It's certainly part of it. Perseverance is part of it. You know, persevere means to have a continuing commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this text does seem to go further than that. It seems prescriptive, which I think you'll see as we work through it. So if you would, let's turn to our Bibles, to Jude. As I said, we'll be looking at Jude 17 through 23. I'll read, uh, and if you'd like to follow along. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of your Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So, as a title for this message, 
I think an apt title, a good title is Believers Have a Responsibility to Defend Against False Doctrine. Believers have a responsibility to defend against false doctrine. As we work through this passage, we'll see that we have this responsibility because Jesus says so. It is essential for salvation and effective ministry, and others are at risk. So if you're inclined to jot down notes, there's your outline. We have the responsibility to defend against false doctrine because Jesus says so. It's essential for salvation and effective ministry. And others are at risk. The significance of this text is Jews calling upon us to defend against false doctrine. Hence the title that I've given it. But defend may be too passive as well. Unless you're of the mind that the best defense is a good offense. You know, and that, that really is how... A lot of us view things, right? If you're in sports, the best defense, you want to attack. You want to score more points. So defense is just helping you maintain pace. So in the first part of this letter, Jude makes it clear he is writing to the church, capital C. Not a local church as we've previously, previously seen in some of the epistles. He wasn't writing to a geographic location. He wasn't writing to a gathering or the gatherings in Rome or in Corinth, or in Ephesus. It's not a pastoral epistle. It's a general epistle. He expresses who he is, a slave of Jesus Christ, the brother of James the Apostle. Who he is writing to, he's writing to those who are called, the beloved in God, kept for Jesus Christ. And why was he writing? he was initially trying to write about their common salvation. But the Holy Spirit moved him to write an appeal to contend for the faith because false teachers, apostates, had infiltrated the church. Appealing to them. Appeal means to encourage a response or action. Contend. Contend isn't Stand there with your arms crossed and say, no, I'm not doing this. No, that's wrong. It's fighting, struggling for the faith. That's what he's calling us to. In verse 1 of his epistles where he gives his introduction, but in verse 3, This is where he talks about he was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. So it wasn't even like, "Eh, this is what I was writing. This was like he was making significant effort. He was really seeking to write the beloved about their common salvation. And the Holy Spirit moved him to write, appealing to them, appealing to them to contend earnestly for the faith. So let me read that for us. So this is Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. And then in verse 17 is where he calls to remembrance, calls us to remembrance. 
So there's many examples in history of entities being infiltrated by outsiders. And the point of that infiltration is to bring down the entity. So we think of the Cold War after World War II. The communists were infiltrating Western civilization with the goal of world domination, to bring down Western civilization. You know, these real-world examples do have somewhat of an elongated timeline. So popular culture sometimes helps us visualize it a little better. Take, for instance, example we see in popular culture of the 20th and 21st centuries. So we'll go for week three of a Tolkien illustration. Forgive me. But in Tolkien's attempt to write a mythology for Western culture, and that's really what he was doing, we learn about the White Council. And the White Council was made up of the wizards Gandalf and Saruman, a high elf Galadriel, and a half elf Elrond. And they are meant, the purpose of that council is to oversee the safety and protect all of Middle Earth. But the White Council has unknowingly been corrupted through Saruman. And so now all of the kingdoms and beings of Middle Earth are at risk. And they were mostly good for the most part, except for this infiltration. And through him, life is corrupted, abominable creations are made, war threatens all, and this has triggered the events that Tolkien writes about in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. In more recent series, recent pop culture, we see it in, Shield, or in uh, the Marvel movies. S.H.I.E.L.D., Force of Good. Has a similar arc with the infiltration by evil Hydra that was intent on world domination. And over decades, people with allegiance to Hydra's mission infiltrate the departments and agencies that make up S.H.I.E.L.D. to create havoc and collapse the system. Does that sound familiar? In these stories, some may not even realize they've been corrupted, that they're working for the benefit of the enemy. Think of the examples in these stories, those in leadership directing the organizations in such a way that the true agenda is hidden. But the goal is clear from our outside view. We have that external view of it. Those inside may not be intending harm, they just want to do a good job. They want to do their part, pull alongside. But they don't have the context of knowing what they're a part of. The same is true of the church being infiltrated by apostates at all levels. So why do we have a responsibility to defend against false doctrine? Jesus said so. Listen again to verse 17 through 19. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. So he's calling for remembrance by those who are on the inside. He's calling for remembrance of the church, his original audience, on the inside of the church to remember what the apostles had said. He's calling on those that are working toward the goal, ostensibly for the furtherance of the kingdom of God, to remember the warnings from those that Jesus handpicked to minister and to preach his word, to lay the foundations of his church, that there are apostates in their midst. The camp has been infiltrated. Evil is loose. 
Don't roll over. Don't give in. Fight. Struggle. That's what Jude's telling. And to help us remember the words of the apostles, here are a few examples. Because the reality is, the principles that Jude's talking about is for today as well. It is for today as well. So in Acts 20, 29, and 30, Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, again, Paul speaking of false teachers. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Peter has much to say about false teachers in his second epistle, in chapters 2 and 3. Listen to 2 Peter 2, 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. How about the Apostle John? 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And even our Lord personally warned false teachers would arise. Matthew 7.15 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jude describes these apostates as mockers, following their own ungodly lusts, those who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Earlier in his epistle, he uses really vivid imagery to describe these threats to the church. Echoing 2 Peter 2.1, albeit in the present tense, is verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long before and marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness or sinful abandon and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude goes on to describe these ungodly persons as those destined for wrath, blasphemers, those walking in the way of Cain, Abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion is interesting because he really was walking in the way of Cain. Do you remember what Cain's sin was? His first sin wasn't killing his brother. His first sin was to worship God in his own way, not the way God prescribed. That was his sin. Instead of a blood offering, he was offering fruit of the ground because he was a farmer. He was trying to worship God in his own way. So Korah's rebellion is an account of the congregation of Israel doing the same type of thing. At a later time, if you would like to read about this in detail, it's in Numbers 16, 1 through 40. But Korah, along with two others, started a rebellion. They fomented rebellion that they should be able to lead the congregation of God's people the same way as Moses and Aaron. That they were no different 
And they wanted to do it their way, not God's way. They, exalt, they said that Moses and Aaron had exalted themselves, that God didn't choose them, but that they had lifted themselves above everyone else for their own glory. He and his co-conspirators did not trust God. They thought they knew better. And, and all 250 chiefs of the congregation participated in that rebellion. And the destruction was swift. If you think of a household, so right now my household consists of Yvette, Victoria, Lauren, and Ethan. Unfortunately, two dogs and a parakeet. Um, three trucks, a boat, our house, everything in it. Any money that happens to be there, but a household would include also anything that's in the bank. So that's the household. The swift destruction that paid the price for the rebellion of those 250 chiefs where every one of their households were destroyed, were swallowed up by the earth. And the rebels didn't, they didn't go with them. They, they witnessed this, as did the congregation. So all of their people, all of their livestock, all of their possessions, swallowed by the earth. And can you imagine the cries of terror as this is happening? The cries of grief as they realized the destruction they had brought upon their households. And then they were immolated by holy fire for the rebellion. Further imagery, he's so vivid in his imagery. Further imagery, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. This is in verse 12. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. Remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Justin spoke about, he, he preached on the ordinances, and he preached about communion. And you may recall that he was talking about the dinner they would have together before they would actually partake of the Lord's Supper. That's what this is, love feasts. So these apostates are joining in in the love feasts. They are joining at the table with believers and then likely taking communion with believers. Just think about that for a moment. Shepherds feeding themselves. Here's some more imagery. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Not just trees that have fallen, had leaves fall, but knocked over. They're like wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Jude even uses extra-biblical texts to describe the depths and the depravity of those that have crept into the church. He quotes Enoch, Noah's grandfather, as, un, as these apostates are ungodly, with deeds of ungodliness committed in an ungodly way, ungodly sinners. And lest we forget Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, the thief, the disciple. He was an apostle that Jesus chose to walk beside him, live with him, to preach. Jesus knew what he, who he had picked, 
Obviously, Judas fulfilled a purpose. But listen to this. In, in John 13, 22, when Jesus revealed one of them would betray him, all of the apostles looked at each other. They were looking around. Who is it? They didn't know who it was. Even when he left, they still didn't get it was him. Even when he was sent out to do what he was supposed to do, they still didn't understand it because he had lived with them. For all intents and purposes, from their eyes, he was one of them. He was on the inside. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for Faith Bible Church? Let's be aware and beware. Those that cause division, those that show a worldly-mindedness. Remember that there are those devoid of the Spirit. False converts will be known by their fruit, just like believers will be known by their fruit. Is their walk matching their talk? Is yours. So why do we have a responsibility to defend against false doctrine? Because Jesus said so. Very clearly he said so. So Jude is telling us, as we've seen in this first part, that we need to be prepared to defend the true doctrine of our sovereign triune God. We need to be prepared, and it's our responsibility to defend against false doctrine. False doctrine is essential for salvation and for effective ministry. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So the ultimate price was paid for our salvation. The original recipients of this epistle were exhorted to build themselves up in their most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping themselves in the love of God. This principle does apply directly to us, Right? We're not exempt from that. We can look through the lens of time. That principle still applies today. Disciplines of grace spurs us to waiting anxiously for the mercy offered by Jesus Christ, eternal life. Judas, or Jude, excuse me, is telling them to keep looking forward to the result of our salvation, the result of their salvation. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about dwelling in the love of God. If I were told that a city was about to be besieged, and if I were commanded to keep the people supplied with provisions during the siege, I should lay in a plentiful store at once to provide for the famine. So if you desire to continue in the love of God, have much of the love of God now and pray for more of it. All to know the love of God as much as ever it can be known. Be greedy. Be hungry. Be covetous for it. Store it up. Fill your soul full of it as a man would fill his storehouses and granary if he knew that famine would be in the land. What more comfortable place can we be than in the love of God? What limits to effective ministry are you futilely flailing against? Towards your brothers and sisters here at Faith Bible, 
or others outside this fellowship that you may have a relationship with? Or how about the effectiveness of sharing the gospel with those that need it, the lost? Cultivate a love for God, as Spurgeon says. Be greedy, be hungry, be covetous after it. How? The scripture reading today speaks to this, speaks to the comfort and power available to those who are in Christ and are abiding in the love of God. Remember, it restores the soul, makes the wise simple, rejoices the heart, it's enlightening to the eyes, it endures forever. His judgments are righteous more desirable than fine gold, sweeter than honey. So what is this telling us? Develop a habit of digging deeply into God's word, asking the Holy Spirit to help you. That is the way to cultivate faith and knowledge. Reading and praying the word of God. Discipline yourself to read it for, de- for depth and not distance. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So building yourself up in your most holy faith, it takes discipline. It takes effort. Praying in the Holy Spirit takes discipline. It takes effort. If you struggle to read, listen to God's Word. There are great audio Bibles available. If you struggle to pray, pray anyway. Pray for a desire to pray. Pray for a desire to to read his word, for an understanding of his word. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand what he's saying in the word, how to apply it to your personal pursuit of holiness. Pray for godly brothers and sisters to come alongside you, to help you grow in faith and knowledge. Pray for yourself and your brothers and sisters while dwelling in the unfathomable love of our Creator, be ready, willing, and able to give a strong defense of the hope that's in you. And friends, if you're here today and you don't have that peace, if this is not making sense, the peace of God, the restoration of your soul, respond to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. Now's the time. The world's not going to get better. It's not going to be healed. It's not going to be just. Peace will not reign until Jesus Christ returns for his people. So with this understanding, how to ensconce ourselves in the love of God, we must grasp the imperative and most sacred role Jude lays out, defending those at risk from false doctrine. So others are at risk. And Jude, in 22 and 23, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Brothers and sisters, we are engaged at different levels of relationship. There are really close relationships, There are some superficial relationships. 
But as members of Faith Bible Church, we've all committed to covenant with one another. And part of our covenant says, working and praying for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, walking together in brotherly love, exercising an affectionate care and watchfulness over one another, faithfully admonishing and correcting one another as occasion may require. You know, we've become hyper-aware in the last, what, five months of viruses, of the need for great hygiene. All it takes is for a germ, bacteria, virus to find an opening and to get into the body. It starts all small, maybe not even noticeable. Over time, the affliction grows. Maybe it becomes painful. Maybe it becomes inflamed. But by the time that it reaches that point, it's spread. In some cases, radical treatment must be applied to get back to health. In extreme cases, the body is damaged beyond repair and is either unable to fully recover or dies. That's the reality of sickness in these fallen bodies. That's false teaching. False teaching has infiltrated the church from the beginning. And even further back into the origins of the faith amongst God's people, it has infiltrated. Believers have been embattled from the beginning. That line of redemption culminating in Jesus Christ, that line of damnation was continuing alongside. The 21st century church has drifted so far because man's decided that he's smarter than our sovereign creator. As a result, most churches, though, would tell you different. Maybe not most. A lot of churches would tell you different. But they don't believe in the inerrancy and the sufficiency of Scripture. Culture overrides fidelity to God's Word. Truth is an abstract personal construct. And that's what they're teaching our kids in college just today. If you've ever heard evangelists on podcasts, that's the first thing they'll say. What do you believe? Well, my truth for me is this. And they're being taught that, and it's being propagated within churches. Thankfully, not this church. Consequently, many modern churches are like the, are like the results of a game of theological telephone. If you're familiar with that game, you have a ring of people and you have somebody that has a phrase or a message and they whisper to the person next to them and that person whispers it to the next person and to the next person and so on and so forth until it comes back around to the original messenger. And it's always funny like how much it's changed. The source message, the Word of God, has been studied and communicated by those that don't adhere to proper hermeneutical principles and have thrown in a healthy portion of cultural chaos 
So there's now rampant apostasy and false teaching. So we see the result in churches that don't have biblical leadership with music that gives them joy and it's more like a concert, propagating false doctrine through podcasts, through books, through video. So those are not well grounded in their faith. We can see why there would be those with doubts. We can see why people sometimes struggle. We can see why there are those being swayed by false teaching. We can see why Jude calls us to be merciful to those who doubt, rescuing those who are ensnared in false teaching. But to be clear, as reaffirmed this morning in one of the songs that's quoting scripture from Romans 8, it's not possible to lose our salvation. It's just not possible. He's also not saying, Jude is also not saying we can save anyone. That's the work of Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. They can, however, lose their effectiveness in ministry. They can lose their effectiveness in evangelism. They can lose their effectiveness in raising a godly home. We can also see why we must show mercy with fear. We don't want to be led into sin by getting all the dirty details of a brother's or sister's sin. We don't need to know the details. Suffice to say, if a brother or sister confesses sin to you, no matter what it is, you don't need all of the nitty-gritty details. Because if you do, you do have, there is a risk that you will fall to a similar sin because you start thinking about it. So, and on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. That's what Jude is talking about there. So the question becomes, for Faith Bible Church, are we sufficiently engaged in each other's lives that we can humbly ask one another deep spiritual questions about where we are, what we think, about our spiritual maturity, about our delight in Christ? Are we sufficiently engaged in each other's lives that we can do that? Are we sufficiently engaged in each other's lives that when a brother or sister asks us those questions, that we will answer honestly, transparently? Without the deep relationships with one another like this, it's impossible to lovingly care on one another in these things. We had a situation in this church last year that perfectly illustrates this. Some of you haven't been around since last summer, but we had a man from all, in, uh, all outside appearance, looked like a strong believer, sounded like a strong believer. He had been asked to disciple another man at least once. He had actually been looked at and was being scouted as a potential future leader. But what this looks like here for our church, we had faithful brothers that were studying with them. We had a faithful brother that heard something that put his antenna up. 
we had this faithful brother start probing to find out where he stood, find out what, he was, what his theology was, what his doctrinal beliefs were. This man had been watching a, a preacher on YouTube, and he was falling to false teaching. He had become, he was apostate, but it was then exposed by a faithful brother, a member of this church, who tried to lovingly correct him. The man rejected him. This faithful brother brought it to the attention of the elders. We confronted the situation, and the mask was off. And then the membership of this church did your solemn responsibility to protect the gospel and protect this church from false teachers, and you affirmed the elders' recommendation to excommunicate this man. He was an unbeliever. And it came out because of faithful brothers investing and digging in with this man. So how do we defend against these things? Engage regarding what brothers and sisters you're uh, growing closer to. What are they watching? What are they listening to? Like, be aware. We've had a great opportunity this last six months to be exposed to a lot of preaching and teaching. And a lot of it's bad. But are you sufficiently engaged with your brothers and sisters here that you can talk frankly about what you're listening to, who you're watching, any of that? Are these things that people are listening to drawing them closer to the light in Christ? Is it fostering that? Or is it fomenting rebellion and false doctrine? Is it drawing them or yourself closer to the truth of God's word and keeping fidelity to it? Or is it leading them or you astray? All right, to be clear, this is not a call for us to be the the spiritual Gestapo looking for people to denounce to each other. That's not what this is. It's not a call to be critical of everyone's choices. That's not what this is. This is a call. Jude is calling us to be lovingly, faithfully engaged with one another, to care for one another, to engage beyond the superficial. So as we start winding up here, probably to your great joy. Jude is calling us to defend against false doctrine because Jesus said so. It's essential to salvation and effective ministry and others are at risk. So what does this look like as a member of Faith Bible Church? Like what, what, is, what can we take away from Jude that we can apply. Well, first, cultivate your own personal holiness and build up yourselves in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God by making a firm commitment before the Lord and to a brother or sister to read your Bible and pray consistently and engage beyond the superficial. Be greedy for the love of God. Be hungry for the love of God. Be covetous after the love of God. 
That's what he's calling us to. And second, as we heard this morning, small groups are starting back up. What better opportunity, what more providential timing that we have this starting within the next couple of weeks, I believe. An opportunity to truly engage with one another as we get back to some sense of normalcy. What an opportunity to live life with one another, to open yourselves up and trusting your brothers and sisters and serving each other in that way. Join and participate in one of these, these small groups. If you're already a part of one, great, engage. If you want to move over to a different one, that's fine too. But use it to cultivate deep relationships so you can guard one another. I love the way Mark laid out the goal for small groups. And it's is that we will grow in understanding and application of the Word of God, and that through small groups and interactions, that will encourage, exhort, teach, help, bear with, pray for, and love one another. Let's pray. Father, we just, again, thank you for the love that you have for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us enough that you gave us this treasure. Not only our treasure of our salvation, but the treasure of your word. That is so true. That cuts to the marrow what we need. So Lord, I pray for our people, Lord, those that are here, those that are watching, Lord, I pray that they just press into your love, that they press in beyond superficial relationships, that we all engage in deep relationships to your glory. In Jesus' name.